Father, we thank you so much for this time you've given us to be together, to sing your praises, to exalt your name, to uh, declare your excellencies. And uh, Lord, I pray as we go into your word that you would prepare our hearts to receive your truth, that we would be changed, that we would grow in respect to salvation, that we would uh, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Use your word mightily today in our lives and bless it as it goes out. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there is a lot of talk these days about the the coronavirus and flu epidemics and all those things. And it's a can be a fearful thing for some people thinking about all that stuff coming, you know. It's deadly. It's deadly. And uh, yet, when you think about other spheres, you think about like the church in general, the evangelical church, there's an epidemic of uh, great proportion. It seems like uh, so many people claim to be uh, Christians, yet in the church Sunday after Sunday, People uh, cry out for, like babies for milk, and pastors give them what they want rather than feeding them the food that they need to survive. We have an epidemic of malnourished uh, believers and many make-believers thinking they are believers. It's an epidemic where the food of the Word of God is not being fed to the flock and the flock is not growing and doesn't even seem to know it. And yet God is a gracious God who desires us to grow in our relationship with him. He doesn't want us to stay little babes in our relationship with him. He wants us to mature and grow up in that relationship. And today we're going to see how it is that we grow in that very relationship with Jesus Christ. The most important thing there is, our relationship with Jesus. So would you turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, all the T's there, if you find it, First Thessalonians chapter 1, and we're continuing our look in the book of First Thessalonians. And within this, we're going to see that it's through God's powerful word uh, that we grow in relationship to him. And so First Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, actually, First Thessalonians chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 13 and 13. We're looking at one verse today. <laughs> um, let me give you a little context for the book of First Thessalonians. Um, the Apostle Paul shares uh, in uh, verse 1 of chapter 1 that he is writing to the church of the Thessalonians that are uh, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And in chapter 1, indeed, we see that they came to faith. They responded to the gospel, that powerfully convicting gospel. In the Apostle Paul, we see the... the uh, the account of their salvation in uh, Acts chapter 17, where he was with them for three weeks, sharing the scriptures with them. And they came to faith, and they were growing in their faith, even in that three weeks, as we'll see. And then the Jews of the city became enraged of the teaching of Jesus and brought about a riot and chased Paul and his companions out of town. They fled to Berea and then on to Athens and then to Corinth. Now in chapters 2 and 3 of this letter, uh, we see that, the, that Paul, having been away from the Thessalonians for a short time, was concerned about them. He was concerned that maybe they would have succumbed to temptation, that Satan would have tempted them in the midst of difficulties. And within that, he sent Timothy back while he was in Athens to strengthen and encourage them as to their faith. 
And then the Apostle Paul went on to Corinth. And he went on to Corinth and he awaited the response from Timothy concerning how the church was doing. And this letter is the response concerning how the church, the Thessalonians, were doing. So he was concerned about them and he sent Timothy. And Timothy was brought back a report. And we see that in chapters 2 and 3. And within that report, the Apostle Paul responds and the letter is his response. And so with that, we see the Apostle Paul within this letter has shared many truths that he reminds them of in which he had shared when he had come with them. (coughs) You might remember, we've been looking through chapter 2 of this book, and it is quite different than chapter 1. Indeed, in chapter 1, we have the testimony of the conversion of these Thessalonians. They responded to the gospel which came uh, in the Holy Spirit with full conviction, and that response of faith was broadcast throughout the area. They had turned to God from idols to serve the one and only true living God and to wait for his son from heaven who delivers us from the wrath to come. They really got saved. And Paul was so thankful for that. And we're going to see that thankfulness continues in our passage today. And then where the apostle Paul in chapter 2 seems to begin to defend himself. And that's a sad thing because it's apparent that bad guys had infiltrated the church through false brethren, just like they did in Corinth. Uh, You can read 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And it's pretty clear these bad guys were making accusations against the Apostle Paul concerning the manner in which he had come to the Thessalonians, prompting him in need to respond. And his response here we see in chapter 2, this inspired defense. It's from this defense we have... Uh, the reality, the, the facts concerning how the Apostle Paul came and ministered to these Thessalonians. You might remember we saw that biblical ministry has to do with the Word of God being imparted and lives being imparted. Indeed, let's back up and look at chapter 2, verse 1. Notice he says, For you yourselves know that our coming to you is not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. Paul made it clear, as we'll see, that they had come out of the right motives and preached the word of God to them. They did it courageously, even in the midst of much opposition. And then the Apostle Paul shared his motives, why he was sharing the word of God and where it came from. Verse uh, 3, for our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. That's the right motive for genuine ministry of sharing the word of God, certainly for salvation, but also the building of the church. They were approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. They had a stewardship of the word of God. Therefore, they spoke not as pleasing men, but God who examines the heart. That's the right motive. So evidently, he's needing to defend himself here concerning the motives in which they came. And then notice, he says, what they did not do, verse 5, for we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. You know we didn't come and butter you up with words. We didn't come to fleece you of your finances. 
And we saw that the Apostle Paul also, with his authority as an apostle, could have thrown that weight around to elevate himself in front of them. And he said, we didn't do that. Look at verse 6. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others. Even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. Hey, we had the authority of Christ that we could have used in an evil way to gain glory from you. We didn't do that. We didn't take your money. We didn't come sharing the word of God for your finances. We didn't fleece the flock and we didn't steal God's glory from him either. We came with the right motives. And then notice he shares that not only did they impart their, the word of God to these Thessalonians, he imparted their lives. And I didn't mention this earlier as I was coughing, but uh, he had been there for only three weeks with them. This is a young church. He had shared a lot of truth with them, three weeks old in the faith, and now it's less than a year, and he's writing these truths back to them. God expects us to understand his truth. The reason why we don't grow and why we can't take it at times is because we have not prepared our hearts, having gotten rid of sin by confessing it. That's why a non-believer can't grow, because they're in sin. And then when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we need to confess sin, as we'll see, be right with him, and then receive the word as we'll see today. So then now he comes and shares that not only did we come and share the word of God, but we imparted our lives. We cared about you, and we'll see that. Look at verse 7. But we proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Very good illustration. Uh, very tender, gentle, feeding the child, right? Um, having thus a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us or beloved. You see, they'd come to faith in Jesus Christ, and there was an instant bond in the Spirit of God, a love for them. And so they imparted their lives. And how did they do so? He says, For you recall, verse 9, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. And then we came to, when we come to what we saw last week in verses 10 to 12, where we saw the Apostle Paul explains they had the right behavior among them. He's defending himself because there's evidently some attacks. But within that defense, again, we see what proper ministry should look like. Verse 10, you are witnesses and so is God. Very important. How devoutly, uprightly, and blamelessly we behaved towards you believers. Hey, we behaved properly. We behaved in a godly manner. We behaved in the right way. Uh, we behaved uh, in a way that no genuine blame could be attached. And then he explains it even, even further. Just as you know how we were, uh, just as you know how we were exhorting, encouraging, and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. And know what he says here. Uh, and for the goal, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Tremendous reality. We were exhorting you. We were, we were uh, encouraging you. We were imploring you that each one of you, like a father with his own children, a father who loves his children, that you would walk in a manner worthy. You see, God uses his word so that we will walk in a manner worthy of Christ. We would walk in a manner of the God who calls us into his own kingdom and glory. 
We've been called out of darkness into His marvelous light. We were in sin and shame and, and, and wickedness and God revealed the truth of our sin and the truth of our gospel concerning Jesus and we were saved and forgiven from that. We've been called out of that. And now He is bringing us and taking us to glory. And so we have the tremendous realities of what God is doing through Christ. In Romans chapter 8, we see that for he who he foreknew, verse 29, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. That's God's desire for us to be like Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul was focused on that goal. He was focused on that upward calling, that calling in which we're being changed daily, uh, being set apart from sin unto God, God making us more and more each day like Christ, unto the point where we're going to be glorified with Him. Tremendous reality. Paul says in Philippians 3.13, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, that's good biblical advice, by the way, and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. We're, called, we're not going down, we're going up. You see, God has called us to his glory. And that's the direction we're going and we're on that path. And so with that, we see that God has a goal for us, his desire for us to be like Christ. But how do we reach that goal? How do we reach that goal of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ? Why is it so many Christians are not like Jesus Christ? Why is it so many people seem to be so unlike uh, the Lord? Well, we need to see how God uses his word to grow us. And that's what we're going to see today, that he uses his word to grow us in respect to salvation. And I already read through verses 1 to 12, so let's pick it up at our verse in verse 13. This is what we'll look at today. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Tremendous verse. He's thanking God for the reception of the word of God that word of God that performs its work in you. Now, most of us understand how we're to grow in our relationship with the Lord, but we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded on a daily basis from God's word concerning himself and what he's doing in our lives and how he does that. And so we're going to see how we grow. If you're a new believer, old believer, older believer, whatever it might be, older person, maybe a newer believer, whatever it might be, The reality is God desires us to grow in the grace and knowledge of his son. And he does that through how we receive the word of God. We're going to see we need to accept it first, but we also need to receive it. There needs to be a heart that's ready to take the word of God and allow it to work in us. Notice he begins our passage, verse 13, with the term, And for this reason we also constantly thank God. He begins with this conjunction here, and that connects what he's shared previously. Indeed, in chapter 2, he has made it clear that his coming was not in vain, that they presented the word of God from pure motives, having a deep affection for them, not only imparting the word, but their lives. And he made it clear that they had behaved in an upright manner as examples, so that they would walk in a manner worthy unto that goal of glory. And then he says, and... 
for this reason, he says, we constantly thank God. We constantly thank God. So here, he connects what he has just said about walking in a worthy manner. And he says, for this reason. Now, the term for this reason here uh, in Greek can look forward or backward. Does it look backward for this reason of what, how we came to you or the manner we came? Or does it look forward? I think it does both, but primarily it looks forward. For this reason, we keep giving thanks to God. And we'll see that reason in a moment, which is the reception of the word of God. You see, how someone receives the word of God should be, should affect us, should affect us. We're going to see that when someone receives it, it should bring joy and thanksgiving. He says, for this reason, he says, and what reason is it? He says, we continually uh, give thanks. Notice this, for this reason, we continually thank God. There was a thankfulness, a thankfulness. Now we know back in chapter 1, he was very thankful. Look back in chapter 1, verse uh, 2. We give thanks to God always, always for you all, for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers. He says, hey, we're always giving thanks for you. Constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, your labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved of God, his choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. So he's given thanks already for how they responded to the gospel. But now he says, we give thanks again also for this reason. Also, we give thanks. He's going to talk about this reason, the way they received the word of God. Look at it. We're going to see it here. And for this reason, we constantly, we also constantly thank God that, that. Some of your translations may rightly say because, because. When you received from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of man, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believed. He says, we constantly give thanks. We constantly give thanks also because you received God's word as what it really is. It brings us to joy and thankfulness to the Lord. It brings us to to thankfulness. And thankfulness is is a heart condition, by the way. I hope you all have that heart condition of thankfulness where the Lord God uh, manifests those things about himself and what he's done, and it should bring us to our knees and thanking him for what he's done. We should be thankful for what he's done in our lives. We should be thankful for everything, knowing he's working it all for good. And so here, he is so thankful because, and notice, they simply put, these Thessalonians received and, he says, accepted the word of God. They received it, and they accepted it. It's pretty simple. You could say, okay, time for lunch, right? It's pretty simple. But I think there's some very important truths we need to see related to this, that we would have a, a, a balanced view of what he is saying here. Such a wonderful verse, such a wonderful passage. And so with this, we're going to see to grow in Christ, there are two aspects to grow in him. First of all, you need to be in a place to receive his word. 
That needs to be in the body of Christ, where you're being fed and equipped. We see that in Ephesians. needs to be on a daily basis, where you're allowing his word to work in your heart, meditating on it day and night. You need to place yourself in a position to receive the word. But also, there needs to be an acceptance of the word. Otherwise, all that receiving does no good. And we'll see that. So then, first of all, we need to outwardly receive God's message. Look at our passage. And for this reason, we also constantly thank God. Thank you so much, Lord God, that they received your word. Thank you so much. They received it. That when you received from us the word of God's message... The term here, received, paralambano, speaks of taking to oneself. It speaks of outwardly receiving, and it's often used to speak of receiving the word of God. Let me share some passages. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received. You took it to yourself. You heard the, you heard the word of God. And then he says in verse chapter 15, verse 3, For I delivered to you of first importance what I also received. Paul received the truth and he shared it. Galatians chapter 1, 9. He says, uh, As we said before, I say again now, If any man is preaching a gospel contrary to, Christ, contrary to that which you received, that's the word, let him be accursed. Philippians 4, 9, the things you have learned and received, the things you've received, they've been given to you. They've been given to you. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1, finally, my brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received from us instruction, received from us instruction. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. You can just write these down. You don't need to turn there. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus, that you keep aloof from every brother who leads an unruly life, not according to the tradition which you have received from us. Paul and his companions imparted the word of God. And the Thessalonians received it. That's where it all starts. There's no way to get saved unless you hear the gospel. You receive it. Now, you can respond or not. There's nowhere to grow in your relationship with Christ unless you receive the word of God. Now, with that, the word has to be given. Our passage, Second, 1 Thessalonians 2.13. And for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when he received from us, that's the Apostle Paul and his companions, you see, the Lord God has appointed in the church, First uh, Corinthians chapter 12, first apostles and prophets and teachers. Apostles and prophets, foundation of the church, that's been found, it's already been laid. Then we have teachers in the church, those pastor teachers who equip the saints, Ephesians 4, for the work of service. There are those giftings that are used so that you can receive the word and thus grow in your grace and knowledge of the Lord. But also, we need to be in a place to receive it personally. Here, it's about receiving it from them, very clearly. That's the primary application. But we also need to be those who are like in Proverbs, those who desire the Word of God, who see it as a treasure, God's wisdom, more valuable than gold and silver. They value it. They have a different view of God and thus what He says. You see, some people don't value God's Word because they don't value God. It's God's Word. You know, if you're in a relationship and you don't really care about what your spouse says, and you don't really value that person, right? 
You see, the reality is if you value that person, you're going to value what they say. And if you value the Lord for who he really is, you're going to want to respond to what he says to us through his word. (coughs) You're going to value it. So then he says, from us, from us. And he has mentioned this earlier. Remember he said they were approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so they speak. Verse 8, having a fond affection, we were well pleased not only to impart to you the gospel of God. Verse 8, verse 11, you know how we were exhorting, encouraging, imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. Now, the Apostle Paul shared the word of God, but he didn't just give the gospel and split. He fed them the truth that they needed to get saved. And, but then he shared the word of God they needed to be built up and grow in their relationship with the Lord. Indeed, we see in this letter, which he responds back to them about the things that he shared in the first three weeks of their salvation, he shares truth that they knew. They understood that Jesus was coming back, and he was coming back in wrath, but we were spared from that wrath to come through faith in him. They understood that they would suffer in the faith, chapter 3. They understood that the Lord would be coming back personally for his church, chapter 4. They understood that the Lord would also come back. They knew full well that the day of the Lord would come. The Apostle Paul had shared to these pagan Thessalonians who were idol worshippers truth concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And he reminds them of that. Paul was faithful to declare what was profitable within the first few weeks of salvation with these Thessalonians. And now within less than a year, he's sharing this letter to them with deep truth. 1 Thessalonians 5, 27, he says, I adjure you by the Lord. This is pretty strong. Have this letter read to all the brethren. It's important. You need to hear the word of God. And these are young believers. So then the word of God must be given before it can be received. And not just in little tiny sprinkles the church sprinkles the word here and there these days and and the 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 congregation picks up the little crumbs of god's word and then feasts on on man's wisdom the reality of what's going on is is tragic the apostle paul wasn't that way you know i was taught in seminary the philosophies that you can't share much of the word of god because they can't accept it yet they need to get more 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 grow more well the reality is the apostle paul shared a lot of truth with these thessalonians when they were young in the faith and the issue is not their youth in the faith the issue is sin either in the way or not it's how someone receives it or not have this letter read to everyone they're less than a year old in the faith so then The word needs to be given out. So simple, but yet so attacked. Paul shared the gospel and he fed the sheep. Paul understood the great privilege of his stewardship with the word of God. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, Let a man regard us in this manner, as servants of Christ and stewards of the gospel or the mysteries of God, And moreover, in this case, moreover, it is required of stewards to be found trustworthy or faithful. Paul was faithful. 
He shared the truth to these Thessalonians. He shared it to them. And so then, for this reason also, we constantly thank God, he says, that when you received, what did they receive? From us, the word of God's message. The word of God's message. Are you in a position to receive the word of God? Well, you're here today, praise the Lord. But we want to be faithful and be, be consistent in our desire to be in the word of God. Certainly, there's opportunities here, you know, on Sunday and throughout the week. We should gather together. We shouldn't forsake our assembling. But we also need to place ourselves in a position to receive it personally. So then, we see, we receive, and it's God's message. He says from us, the word of God's message. Now, the New King James Version says, translates the word message here, which you have heard instead. The word which you have heard. And that's a good translation too. You see, this term translated message here, acues, it's where we get our word acoustics, has to do with sound and hearing. You see, the message is what we hear. The word of God which you hear, the message which you hear. We see this simple illustration in Romans chapter 10, verse 16. I'll read it for you. However, they did not all heed the glad tidings, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report, or literally, our message, Akue, the message that came forth that you heard. Then the next verse, Romans 10, 17. So, faith comes from hearing, Akues, and hearing, Akue, by the word of Christ. We need to place ourselves in a position to hear the word of God, to hear it. Now, you can hear it as I speak it. They heard it as Paul spoke it. But you can also hear it when you read it, right? You'd be in a place to hear the word of God's message. It's to be heard. It's to be heard. And these Thessalonians received it by hearing. They received the word by hearing. And that's God's method and his ordained method of receiving the word of God. That's what he's chosen. And notice, it is the word of God's message. It's his message. It's what he has said. The word of God is God's message, not a human message. Timothy makes it clear in 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul to Timothy, excuse me, says all scripture is inspired by God. It's God's message. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the Apostle Paul says in verse 36, Was it from you that the word of God first went forth, or has it come to you only? If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize the things which we write to you are the Lord's commandment. It's his word. It's his word. Turn to Second Peter chapter one, that's right near Revelation, almost at the end of your Bibles. Second Peter chapter one. Very important. But know this, verse twenty. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture, the term scripture means written word, by the way, means graphe, like we get our term graphite is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. It is God's message, and that's what we hear. 
And sadly, it grieves my heart, but Sunday after Sunday, men give men's message, not God's message. Stories, video clips, rather than giving the truth of God. Let not many of you become teachers as a stricter judgment. It says in 1 Peter chapter 4.11, Whoever speaks, speaking gift, let him speak as it were the utterances or oracles of God. The Word of God. The Word of God. What pride for anybody to declare for God man's wisdom. We declare God's Word. We declare His Word. It's God's message that Paul gave. He didn't shrink back, Acts chapter 20. And he gave Timothy this solemn charge. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. He's just made it clear in chapter 3 that the bad guys are going to come, that they're going to proceed from bad to worse. They look like they have a form of godliness, but they deny the, the, they deny the God behind it. And, and it's God's word rather than the junk that they're giving that you need to listen to, Timothy, because it's all inspired by God and it's profitable for those things. And he's, then he goes on to give him a charge. These are his final words, by the way, because he says he's going to be going to the Lord in the same book. 2 Timothy 4.1, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. That sounds pretty serious. Someone says that to you, that's pretty serious. Right? And notice what he says. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, that's sound teaching. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears, that's hearing, where they hear it, where they get the message from, from the truth, and we'll turn aside to myths or stories. You see, we're to preach the word of God. Because a time will come when people won't want to hear it. We're to preach it in season and out of season. Seems out of season at times. Because people want to hear what tickles their ears rather than God's truth. But it's God's message. It's God's message that is preached. And the obvious application is certainly those who teach and preach should be preaching God's word. That's it. But there's another application. Those who are to be growing from it should be on the receiving end of God's word. You need to place yourself there. Now we're going to say that's not all there is because you can be in the receiving end. You can be in a good church. You can be having Bible verses all over your, your walls and on your car bumper stickers and you know in your pockets and everywhere and still not really be a doer of what you hear. You might just hear it and that's all there is. There's more to it than that as we're going to say. But we need to be in a place where we should be continually receiving the word. And guess what? This life is busy. Busy, busy, busy. Get up. There's tons of things to do. There's tons of things to think about that we got to do. And we have to say no to those things for the moment. Put the Lord first and allow his word to work in our hearts. Look at uh, Psalm 1. Psalm 1. It's a deliberate choice. By the church you go to, it's a deliberate choice. By the time you spend, by the Bible studies you go to or you don't, it's a deliberate choice. It's not simply to go there because you feel guilty because someone said you should be there. It's from a changed heart. And when my heart feels like I don't want to be there, then I know my heart's wrong. 
that sin is getting in the way. My desire is pulling my heart away. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, How blessed, or oh how happy, is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Allow God's word to work in your heart. Listen to it day and night. Memorize the word of God. Put it in your heart. Thy word I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's not simply the verses. It's because it's God speaking it to us. It's his word. It's the word of God's message. So then we need to place ourselves in a position to receive it. First step. But that's not the only step, by the way. Because we're going to see there are people who were in a position to receive it. The Pharisees, they were in a position. They were in the Word of God all the time. But they had a heart problem. They had a heart problem because they thought by doing what they heard, they would have eternal life rather than the Word pointing to Jesus Christ. And God uses his word to grow us in our relationship with Jesus and to reveal what his desires, what Jesus' desires are for you with your marriage, what his desires are for your speech, what his desires are for every element of your life. And if you want to follow him and you want to walk with him, you want to hear what his desires is. And when we forget, we've got to hear again. We want to hear it. So not only do we receive it, we need to also accept it. Look back in our passage in 2 Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 13. And for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you receive from us the word of God's message, that's what we talked about, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. You accepted it for not as the word of men, but for what it really is. Now the term received seems like it's The same thing here, receive, accept, same thing. Actually, this term accept can actually be translated received also, but it's a little different, and it's in a nuance of the word. It speaks of receiving with the idea of welcoming, of entertaining. It was even used to speak of entertaining strangers. You know, if you welcome someone to your house, you can receive someone at your front door. You can receive them, but you can welcome someone in to your house. And here it speaks of welcoming. One uh, pastor writes, this word decomai means to accept deliberately, ready and kindly. The picture is of putting out the welcome mat for, the, for God's word of truth, which would be like a good friend or a guest, inviting them into your house. It's a heart desire. You're not just hearing it, you're wanting it. You're wanting to receive it internally. And they received it, as we'll see, not as the word of men, but the word of God. It's a voluntary, willing act to receive God's word. But there's one thing that gets in the way. It's sin. It's sin. You can't receive the word of God in that manner when there's sin. You see, that's why we turn to sin, turn from sin to God, or turn to God from sin. You know what I mean, right? (laughs) We turn to God from sin. We acknowledge our sin and we turn to Him. Turn to James chapter 1. 
And the lady's been going through that, and the men too. It's really important because he's going to talk about it, and we won't look at all this, but he's going to talk about there are hearers of the word who only that delude themselves. They come, they hear the word of God, and they're like a person who looks at his face in the mirror, sees what he's like, and then walks away and immediately forgets what type of person they are. Because the word isn't being looked at intently and it's not remaining with them. But a hearer that is ultimately a doer is one who's got a changed heart, who hears the word of God, intently desires it, and then remains with it. But to do that, we need to prepare ourselves. Look at verse 21 of James. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, James 1.21, receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. That's how we first get saved, but that's the same process as we receive the word now. Receive the word. You've got to set aside sin. If you've got attitudes in your heart towards people, you've got anger, you've got worry issues. Now, it's not saying you're not tempted. We all get tempted, and we may be confessing over you, but you're leaving them there. You're not trusting the Lord. You're trusting in man, whatever it is. You have those things, and you hear the word of God, you're not going to receive it. Set aside by confessing all the sin, and we want to get your heart right, and then you can receive the word of God. I tell you... It's so true that when you got sin in your life, you really don't want to hear the word of God. You really don't. We kind of know what it says. We know what it says. We don't want to hear it, really. It's only the hypocrites that pretend, you know, that come in and do that, that act differently. They pretend that way. They got sin in their hearts. Jesus said, the cup's clean, but the inside is full of dead men's bones. It's like a tomb. It's like a tomb. So are you receiving God's word? Are you accepting it? Are you confessing sin? Confessing sin, the Lord is so good. When we are prideful and not humble, when we confess it, he forgives us. With humility, receive the word. When we're sinful and we confess it, he forgives us. He's faithful. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Just confess, oh, we have a great God who died for us. We're sinners, but we're saved by his grace, but we now can confess and be right and cleansed before him. He'll cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And Paul is so thankful. They're true believers, and they received it, and then they accepted it. And they accepted it not as, look at the word of men, but as the word of God, right? What it really is. You see, the Bible is, is not the word of men. The apostle Paul got it from God, the, the gospel. Galatians chapter 1, the apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, He says, for now am I seeking the favor of men or of God, or am I striving to please men? If I was still striving to please men, I wouldn't be a bondservant of Christ. Beware of that, by the way. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not from man. It's from God. And we have in 2 Peter, I read this already, Verse chapter 1, verse 20, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Spirit spoke from God. And then turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul says, And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. 
For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in much trembling, fear and much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not a persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. That your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, that is not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom. And he's going to say it was wisdom and a mystery, but it's been revealed to us by the Spirit. We speak God's wisdom. We speak God's word. He continually thanks God. Back to our passage. And for this reason, we continually thank God that when you receive from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. The term really means truly. For what it truly is. It's God's word. It's from God. And it's through his word. We see it's his word. In the context of these Thessalonians here, you must, to be saved internally, accept God's word. You must accept the truth that you're a sinner and you need a Savior and that that Savior is Jesus Christ. You must welcome that in your heart and that he died for your sins and rose from the dead and he'll save you. But the same thing happens for us when we receive the word concerning anything as we grow in Jesus Christ. You see, if you don't accept the word of God, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. It's an indicator that one is either saved or not, by the way. And we can get hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, but follow with me. Turn to 1 John chapter 4. And while you're turning there, I want to read, remind you what the Lord said in John 10. He says, my sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice. But 1 John 4. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them. That's the bad guys. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. That's the bad guys. False teachers, world loves them. Right? We, speaking of John the Apostles, are from God. He who knows God listens to us. This is the Apostles who got for the Word of God. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of air. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. You know, when someone says, well, I like what Jesus said, but I don't like what Paul says. Well, I like this, but I don't like that. They don't know the Lord yet. Because when you have a changed heart, he writes his word on your heart. He changes our hearts to receive his word. It is only sin that gets in the way. It could be sin having not been saved, but when we're saved, sin gets in the way. So then they received the word of God's message. One pastor writes, the word of God should go out as the word of God. And it should be received as the word of God. And my friend, if you receive it in that way, then it will do its work in you. And it will be a great blessing for you. Otherwise, you're just wasting your time in church, and I would pause it in this life. And I agree with that. They received it as the word of God. And that reception brought thankfulness. Thankfulness. Do you receive the word of God and how God tells you to treat your spouse? 
Do you see the word of God, how he says we should deal with anxiety and worry? Do you receive the word of God and how he says we should deal with anger? Do you receive the word of God concerning the issues that confront us every day about how you're to work unto the Lord and not unto men? Do you receive the word of God? Is it in your heart? There's so many other applications. But primarily here, he's thankful. You see, when you see someone who's receiving the truth, it is such a joy. They hear the word of God and they take it as God's word and they respond, wow, that's wonderful. That is wonderful. So then how do we grow in our relationship with Christ? First of all, we need to be in a position to hear the message. But secondly, we need to have a heart that is ready to receive the truth of God. And then lastly, we need to realize the word is that which God uses to work in us. Back to our passage, verse 13. And for this reason... We also constantly thank God that when you received from us the word of God's message, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but what it really or truly is, the word of God, and then notice this last phrase, which also performs its work in you who believe. You received it, you got saved, and he, they received what else he taught them in those first two weeks. They received it, they accepted it, but it also does something. It also performs work in you who believe. God uses his word to work in us. And it's contrary to our own uh, flesh and human reason. It, it destroys pride, by the way. God uses his word to work in us. Indeed, he used his word to bring about salvation. Let me share some passages. James one or James up, 121. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. In the exercise, 118, of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, For you have been born again, not of seed which is imperishable, that is, but that is through the living and abiding word of God. And he says, that word which was preached to you. God used his word. He spoke his truth about your sinfulness and the Savior Jesus Christ, the wrath to come and the deliverance that he brings in Jesus Christ, and you believed it and you were saved. It's through the word of God. It's through the word of God. And he also uses that God, that word to save us. Not only to save us, but to sanctify us. We know certainly the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. You know, let me share one more passage, Second uh, Timothy chapter 2, verse 14, about the word in our relationship to bringing us into his relationship with him. Second Timothy 2, 14. Paul is saying, the bad guys are doing this, you do this, Timothy. He says, you, however, Second Timothy 2, 14, continue in the things that you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say all scriptures inspired by God. So faith comes from hearing. Having trouble believing, having trouble with faith, listen to the word of God. Confess your sin and listen. Now he says that this work also performs its work, its word, and work in you who believe. The word of God also works in us who are believers. If you're a believer, God uses his word to work in you. If you are willing to humble yourself, if you're willing to receive it and then accept it.
Tremendous statement, the end of verse 13, which also performs its work in you who believe. He doesn't say worship performs its work in you who believe. He doesn't say man's wisdom performs its work in you who believe. He doesn't say psychology performs its work in you who believe. He doesn't say clever stories and illustrations perform its work in you who believe. But what does he say? The word of God which also performs its work in you who believe. So many scriptures affirm this truth. I'm just going to briefly mention a few and we'll finish up. But we know it's through the word of God that we are equipped, made adequate for every good work. Second Timothy 3.16, I mentioned it a few times already. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable, beneficial for four things, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and all slander, set aside the, word, the, the sin, sin and receive the word, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word, that you may grow in respect to salvation. If you've tasted the kindness of the Lord, if you've really been saved. Long for God's word that you may grow in respect to the salvation Christ has brought to you. We see that God's word is powerful. It's powerful. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, Hebrews 4.12, both joints and marrow, and able to judge the intentions of thoughts and intentions of the heart. Second Peter 1.2, grace to you be multiplied in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, through the true knowledge of him, that's Christ, who called us into his own glory and excellence. For by these he has given us his precious and magnificent promises, his truth. That by them, he says, you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. We become like Christ. And we had Psalm 19 read for us earlier, the law of the Lord is perfect. Restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord, says Psalm 19.9, is, is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord, they are true, they are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than fine gold, or gold, yes, than fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them thy servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? The implication God's word helps you see yourself rightly, right? Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of my hidden faults. Also, keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. Don't let me presume anything. Keep me back. Let them not rule over me. You know that's happening. You're doing that, I'll tell you right now. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You see, God uses his word. There's no shortcut. There's no program. There's no book. God uses his spirit-empowered word from the scriptures, from the Bible, to conform us into the image of Christ. God's word is sufficient because it reveals a totally sufficient Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Abide in him and his word in you. Satan is always appealing to our pride to act in our own wisdom and understanding at the same time assaulting the sufficiency of the word of God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't forget his commandments, right? His testimonies. So how are we to grow in our relationship with Christ? First and foremost, we need to do position to hear the word of God. To hear the word of God. But that's not the only thing. We need to have our hearts right, confessing sin so that we accept it as what it truly is. God's word, which performs its work in you who believe. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, You are so gracious to have blessed us with the truth concerning who you are and where we stand in the Savior, Jesus Christ. And Father, I thank you that you, by faith, uh, through your word, by your spirit, are conforming us to the image of your Son. Help us not to lean on our own understanding. Help us not to trust in man's ways or mankind. Help us to trust in you, to believe what you have said, to allow your word to work in our hearts that we would become more and more like your son Jesus so that you would be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name.